One of the unusual things about the year that's coming quickly to an end is that we saw three different prime ministers. Uh, that has happened at least once before in the UK uh, back in 1868. Uh, but Liz Truss's 44 days as prime minister was a, a record uh, and not a record that anybody really wants, uh, her, making her the, the shortest serving prime minister in UK history. Uh, meanwhile, her, her, her party uh, looked like they would be decimated uh, at the ballot box if there is a general election anytime soon. 2022 was also a year which saw the death of our longest reigning monarch. When she died, many people expressed the sentiment that they thought it, they thought it would never happen. They thought she would go on forever. But even the longest reigning earthly monarch must come to an end. So in one year we've seen the death of the, the longest reigning monarch and we've seen the beginning and the end of the shortest reigning prime minister in the UK's history. But long or short, all human reigns and governments, kingdoms and empires must come to an end. And so how appropriate in our final service of 2022 we have the opportunity to think together about a reign that will never end. All human empires will eventually peak and then start to decline. In fact, from, from the very beginning of a human empire, it, it's like there is a clock starting to count down until that empire will come to an end. Uh, however, uh, long or short uh, it has left is known only to God. But tonight we get to focus our, our minds and hearts on a kingdom which will never come to an end. These next few days are a good opportunity for you to think about what sort of Bible reading plan or, or strategy you might want to consider for 2023. And if you do read through either the, the whole Bible or, or a significant part of the Bible next year... Uh, there will be some days when it's harder going than others. Uh, and that's, that's okay. Uh, everyone is in the same boat. Uh, there are different reasons what, why we can struggle w when we read the Bible. And one reason is because at times we can be reading about kingdoms and empires that mean very little to us. The events of Isaiah chapter 9, for example, they, they take place against the background of a coming Assyrian invasion, uh, the world superpower of the day. Uh, but then if you go, go down to verse 12, you have the, the Syrians on the east and the Philistines on the west. Uh, and these names don't tend to mean very much to us. Uh, when was the last time you saw a news bulletin about the Philistines? But the very reason for that is that these kingdoms over time dwindle and disappear. These are, are the names of people, of kingdoms that once kept God's people awake at night. But, but now we, we hear their, their names and, and shrug that they, they mean so little to us. And that in itself should actually encourage us. 
because we're not still worried at the end of 2022 about kingdoms who worried God's people back in 700 BC. Why? Because human kingdoms come and go. But tonight we get to focus on the one kingdom that won't come and go, but instead will grow and grow and grow. And so if you do find yourself getting a bit lost at at times when reading about some of these different kingdoms mentioned in the Bible, some of Israel's enemies, or, or, or even listening to a sermon that mentions some of these different nations, well, even that in itself is an opportunity, an opportunity to breathe out a silent prayer to God and say, thank you, Lord, that though human kingdoms come and go, your kingdom will last forever. And could Christ's kingdom be anything else but everlasting, given the the four titles ascribed to him in the previous verse? The Lord Jesus is the wonderful counsellor. The word wonderful, as we saw, is only used in the Bible to speak about the things that God does For earthly rulers not to ask counsel of anyone is their folly. But for the Lord Jesus, it is his glory. A year ago, one source inside the conservative government claimed that the turmoil the party was experiencing was because of young people who were intoxicated by their own importance, The source talked about amateurs uh, unable to understand political risk being appointed. And human governments do often come to an end because of the refusal of those in power to listen to counsel. Or because they don't surround themselves with people who will tell them the hard things that they need to hear. And so... And so instead, surrounded by yes men and yes women... Human governments often keep charging blindly in one direction until they reach the edge of a cliff and by then it's too late to stop. But the wonderful counsellor cannot be badly advised because he knows all things and so doesn't need the advice of others. The creator doesn't need to, to stop and ask the advice of his creatures. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counsellor, asks Isaiah later on in the book. What man chose him as counsel? Whom did he consult? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? And so Christ's kingdom is in safe hands, because he's not going to make a mistake. We're almost tempted at times to say, Lord, Lord, I think there might be a better way to do things. Just like Ananias, you remember the story when he was going to see Paul uh, on Straight Street uh, and Ananias uh, thought it was a suicide mission uh, and he told, he told the Lord as much. But we don't need to fear for what will happen to his kingdom. Could Christ's kingdom be anything but everlasting since it is impossible for him to make a wrong turn? 
of his kingdom there will be no end. And that is the case because he is the wonderful counsellor. It's also the case because he is the mighty God. The mightiest human army can be defeated. Who would have thought in February that the little army in Ukraine could have withstood the huge Russian invasion uh, and yet uh, the, the, the conflict is still ongoing. Uh, the mightiest human empires can crumble and they can crumble very quickly but the kingdom of the mighty God is impregnable. The very gates of hell will not prevail against it. Christ's kingdom cannot be anything other than everlasting given that he is the mighty God he is the mighty God his kingdom cannot be overthrown then the next title of our Lord it includes the very word everlasting the Lord Jesus is is like an everlasting father to his children and so his kingdom is everlasting And then finally, as we saw this morning, he is the Prince of Peace. He is the king who turns his enemies into his friends. And he does so by wooing them. The king we once served was Satan himself. But but now our king is the Prince of Peace. And praise God that we now serve a different king. Because after the fall, we would have been quite at peace with serving Satan. But part of the first gospel promise was, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Enmity means a deep-seated dislike, a hostile disposition. And ultimately, the offspring of the woman, a son who would be born, would come and defeat the old serpent. And just as a new king sits on the throne of the UK today, so we have a new king reigning in our hearts. But think what it cost for the change of king in our lives to come about. Whenever William of Orange came to the throne of Britain, uh, replacing the Catholic James II, it was known as the Bloodless Revolution back in 1688. The king on the throne had changed without blood or, or without much blood being shed. But for the king reigning in our hearts to change, it was far from a bloodless revolution because it took the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. In most revolutions, Other people shed their blood in order that the king might reign. But in this revolution, the king shed his own blood in order that he might reign. And in order to bring us into a kingdom of peace. A kingdom where one day the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. Boys and girls, would you like to, to, to take a, a rope and take a, a lion for a walk or, or take a wolf for a walk? Uh, that, would be, that would be pretty scary. I don't think any of us would like to do that. Uh, but, but in the kingdom that Jesus is going to bring about, there will be nothing that will ever scare us. What will heaven be like, you wonder? 
Well, in heaven, there'll be nothing to make us sad, nothing to scare us. Tragically, though, there are some who, who still refuse his offer of peace, even though he keeps making it to them, even though the cost of peace is completely borne by him. And all we have to do is repent and believe. He has done it all. All we have to do is repent and believe in the gospel. But there can be no true peace for us as God's people while the serpent and his seed are still active, while they are still in rebellion against this king. So the fact that he is the prince of peace, it means, yes, that he will die, that he did die to bring us peace. But it also means that one day he will fully and finally defeat all his and our enemies. And his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom of peace because all those who fight against him will be crushed. And so while it is a a glorious thing for the Christian to think about Christ's everlasting, never-ending kingdom, it should be a fearful thing for the unbeliever. Just as it is a fearful thing for an unbeliever to murmur the prayer, your kingdom come. Because in praying for the coming of Christ's kingdom, the unbeliever is praying for their own destruction. These verses also contain hope for the believer who's praying, your kingdom come. I'm wondering, will it come? It doesn't look like it's coming. Verse 7 gives us a glorious picture of this kingdom to keep us going. A guarantee that the kingdom really is going to come. But before we look look at what the verse tells us about the kingdom, notice something else that tells us about the identity of the king. We've already seen that the king will be wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Uh, And in verse 7, we learn something about his throne. Uh, Boys and girls, this verse tells us something about the throne that this promised king would sit on. And that is, it's the throne of David. It's, in a sense, the throne that, that David once sat on. But Jesus will come and sit on that same throne And so that tells us that this this child who is to be born, verse 6, the son who would be given, he had to be connected to David. He had to be descended from David in order to legitimately sit on his throne because uh, someone who wasn't related to David couldn't come and sit on David's throne. So these words are written 700 years before Jesus. And how does the New Testament start? Uh, The Old Testament is telling us we need a king to come from the line of David. How does the New Testament start? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. He's the one who was promised. What does the angel say to Mary? The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Verse 7 here, the throne of David. The angel speaking to Mary, the throne of his father David. Where do the angels tell the shepherds that Jesus has been born? 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. Yes, Jesus was the and is the Son of God. But as Paul puts it in Romans, he was descended from David according to the flesh. Through Joseph as his adopted father, but also it seems through Mary. And so 700 years before Jesus is born, we have a promise of a child to be born who will reign on the throne of David. And then the angel comes to Mary and tells her that the Lord God will give her son the throne of his father David. No wonder these words are so often read at this time of year. This is the identity of the king. So many prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament and the, Messiah, and the Lord Jesus fulfills every one of them. So that's the king, but what about his kingdom? Well, it's clear from the opening words of the verse that it is an increasing kingdom. Of the increase of his government, uh, that is his rule, there will be no end In 2023, the number of those in Jesus' kingdom is only going to increase. And the increase of his government, his rule, it also means the increase of peace. As men and women and boys and girls are brought to know peace with God. But though God's kingdom increases and grows year by year, it doesn't happen automatically. The normal way Christ's kingdom increases is by those who are already in the kingdom sharing the good news with those who are still outside. And we invite people into the kingdom first and foremost by telling them about the king. And if we have really found the king to be the wonderful counsellor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace... Surely we will want to tell others about this king. Surely we will want to tell those needing counsel or following bad counsel about the wonderful counsellor. Surely we will want to speak to those who are weary and heavy laden and tell them about the mighty God who promises to take their burden And who laid down his life so that the wrath of God would burn itself out on him instead of them. How we long to tell those who have known little tenderness in their lives about the everlasting father who is fatherly in his tender love and fatherly in his perfect help. And what a joy it is to be able to speak to someone who has a troubled conscience And tell them about the Prince of Peace. And in 2023, this king will continue to uphold his kingdom. Uh, We've thought in the last couple of weeks about the amazing fact that even while lying in the manger, the the Son of God was upholding the universe by the word of his power. Uh, He never stopped doing that for a moment. And here we read of him not just upholding the universe, but but upholding his kingdom in particular. He established it and he upholds it. The word uphold could be translated as support or sustain. It is often used for helping people who are in distress. And in the year ahead, the Lord 
Jesus will support and sustain his kingdom. I praise God that the task of upholding his kingdom doesn't depend on us. I read a, a great quote a few years ago from a, from a Lutheran theologian who said that, that God can put us to bed like little children and his kingdom will still grow. God uses us, but he doesn't need us. The Lord Jesus himself is the one who commits both to establish and uphold his kingdom. You've maybe heard the song, he's got the whole world in his hands, and he does. But but right in the centre, right in the centre is his church. And he will uphold his kingdom with justice and righteousness. How few earthly governments there are that are free from any taint of sleaze. And often the longer that, that an individual or a government are in power, the greater the threat of corruption becomes. But how different the sinless and pure Lord Jesus. He will uphold his kingdom with justice and righteousness. Just as Psalm 89 tells us, which we'll sing in a few moments, it says righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. And how we long for the day, which Isaiah would prophesy about later, where he says, Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule in justice. Now, by nature, we have no business being in such a kingdom. A kingdom where the king's throne is marked by justice and righteousness. But through faith in him, the Lord Jesus declares us righteous. And then by his spirit, he works righteousness in our lives as the image of Jesus shines more clearly in us. So what a glorious picture of Christ's kingdom we have in these verses. How many have heard in our world about the baby in the manger, but how few know about the kingdom that he came to establish. It's a glorious picture. But is that all it is? Is it just a pipe dream or is it a reality? Well, the last line of the verse, it tells us uh, what will guarantee it. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And how much better is the Lord's zeal than human zeal? Because human zeal can be misplaced. We can be, uh, uh, we can be burning with zeal uh, but, but, but burning for the wrong thing. Uh, human zeal can be misplaced. We can expend lots of energy and be really committed to something uh, and yet it's, it's, it can turn out to be a waste of time. Human zeal can be misplaced. A uh, Human zeal can also cool Human zeal can also cool over time. I got a book last Christmas called The Preacher's Catechism. And one of the most beneficial things that I've done this year has been to read a chapter. It's only two, three pages. I read a chapter on a Lord's Day morning. And in the introduction to the book, there was a quote that has stayed with me since I first read it. 
The quote comes from John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress. And one day Bunyan thought that he heard Satan speaking to him. And Satan was quite happy with Bunyan's youthful zeal for the Lord and wasn't at all intimidated by it. Why? Because Satan planned to cool him by degrees. In other words, Satan wasn't panicking about this zealous young Christian. His plan wasn't to do anything sudden to try and change Bunyan. But Satan's plan was simply to try and cool his zeal little by little. One degree less one year, another degree less the next year. And I'm sure we've all known people who once enthusiastically followed Christ, but today they are nowhere, spiritually speaking. And in order to do that, one of Satan's biggest assets is time. Slowly and almost imperceptibly, the person who in their late teens or early 20s was on fire for the Lord can end up cold, sceptical, cynical. And the change takes place in private long before the results are seen in public. Human zeal can cool as time goes on and often flickers less brightly than it once did. We used to have battery operated Christmas tree lights and you wouldn't really realise that the batteries were running low until, until right at the end and, and they, they started going off. But then when you put in new, bright, new batteries it was so much brighter than it was before. And all too often that's a picture of human zeal. Over time it, it gets dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. Even if our zeal isn't misplaced, even if our zeal is for the wrong things, even if we're keeping the main things the main thing, often we only need time to cool our zeal. But God's zeal never flickers, it never dims, it always burns with the same brightness. And God is zealous, this verse is telling us about establishing Christ's kingdom. So if you want to know what God's priority for 2023 is, here you have it. It's about glorifying himself through his son by drawing together a great multitude from every nation that no one can number and bringing them safe to glory. Human kingdoms come and go. But what a great thing it is to be part of Christ's kingdom. It's an amazing picture. It doesn't, doesn't always feel amazing though. And so often we are ashamed. When really what we should be ashamed of is the earthly kingdoms that we are part of. Uh, and the laws that they are passing that are more and more regressive. Uh, our, our societies, they think they're being progressive but they're being regressive. But if you want to be on the right side of history, you need to be in this kingdom. The kingdom which the Lord Jesus died to establish. And which the zeal of the Lord of hosts guarantees will one day crush all other kingdoms. Like the little, the little stone that Daniel saw that became bigger and bigger. And it crushed all the kingdoms of the earth. Yes, it seems far off at times. But this is where all of human history is heading. And each day of 2023 that God gives us, if he gives us any, we will be one step closer. Amen. Well, we sing again about this kingdom from Psalm 89.
Psalm 89, 13 to 17. Uh, so starting on page 203, Psalm number 89, page 203, at verse 13. Verse 13, page 203, your arm is strong, your hand has might, your right hand's high indeed. On right and justice, or righteousness and justice, rests your throne, while grace and truth proceed. This is the justice and righteousness prophesied of the throne of Jesus Christ. And whose throne is it? Well, verse 19 over the page will not sing it, but verse 19, David's name is mentioned again. My servant David, uh, the great uh, king from the house of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, And in light of all that we've been thinking about this kingdom tonight, in all that we've thought of the Messiah over these past number of weeks, surely uh, we we sing in verse 14, how greatly blessed the people are, the joyful sound who know, in brightness of your face, O Lord, they ever on will go. How greatly blessed the people are, do you think of yourself as greatly blessed this evening to be found worshipping with God's people, to be found in this kingdom if you are in this kingdom? That is to be greatly blessed. And then verse 15 over the page, the first line, yes, they rejoice in your great name. And what is his great name? Well, we've only been able to touch on a part of his great name over these last weeks but what is his great name in which we rejoice well particularly we rejoice that he is wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father and prince of peace so psalm 89 uh, the tune is 179 tune winchester 179 and we'll sing verses 13 to 17 we'll stand to sing praise